uh, and it'll be a tremendous blessing to them. Father, we ask that you bless this study in Micah, a book that perhaps that a lot of Christians really kind of don't read or maybe know a small portion of it. But there's something here for us, and it speaks to us in the day in which we're living in. So I pray that you would touch our hearts with your word, that you bless this time as we study it and go through these chapters and through this, this minor prophet's book written for us uh, 2,700 years ago. And so, uh, Lord, just teach us and guide us and uh, stir our hearts with the word that we're reading. In Jesus' name, amen. So Micah was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah. And what he's going to do is he's going to bring the word of the Lord to them and to Samaria. Now, Samaria was the capital of Israel, the ten northern tribes. Micah, his name means who is like Jehovah. And what do we know of him? Well, let's read the word of the Lord in verse 1 of this book. They came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jothan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So he is uh, prophesying concerning Samaria, the ten northern tribes, and Jerusalem, of course, the capital of the southern uh, house of Israel, uh, or the southern house of Judah, and that is um, where the temple was at this time, Solomon's temple. But here is Micah. He is uh, from that area in south of Jerusalem, about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, he is close to where he uh, would be raised, uh, where Amos the prophet was from. And he would prophesy in the days of Jotham. So he's uh, from that Micah of Moresheth again. Um, Amos came from that area south of Jerusalem. And then as he's ministering during this time, his ministry is actually taking place in the time about 740 to about 685 B.C. And that's the time where these kings that are listed here, first of all, we see that Jothan reigned uh, in Judah. The Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jothan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Those were the kings of Judah. Now, Jothan reigned for 16 years. As you read about his reign in 2 Kings, also in 2 Chronicles chapter 27, he was the son of Uzziah. Now, Uzziah, we know that in the year that Uzziah died, that the Lord was, that Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Remember Isaiah chapter 6? And that's when Isaiah was ministering during the, uh, after the death of Uzziah. And we know that Uzziah was a good king. He reigned for over 50 years. Uh, the nation was strong under Uzziah. And the same thing here with Jothan, as he was a good king. But we are told that the people were still acting carnally. Uh, he was, Jothan, a builder like his dad. Um, he built cities in the mountains of Judah. He fought against the Ammonites, and he won. Second Chronicles chapter 27, verse 6, Jothan became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. And it's the same with us, that the Lord desires to work for us as we go the way of the Lord, as we travel the ways of the Lord, and to always remember that the Bible declares that his ways are good, his ways are right. We don't go, want to go by the way of the world. And even though the world may promise you success and the world promise you power and all of this, that that's all deception from the enemy. 
that rule power, that is in the best sense of the word, being able to live a life of blessing and live a good way in the right way is going by the way of the Lord. And we see that the Lord blessed him. And as we are blessed, doing what is right before the Lord as well. And also he would reign during the days of Ahaz. Now, he was, of course, a terrible king. We've talked about him. He's the one that Isaiah came to and said that Ahaz asked for a sign. And he wouldn't. And he said, the Lord's going to give you a sign, Ahaz, that behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. That's in Isaiah chapter 7. And that was a prophecy concerning the birth of Jesus. We will see here in Micah, as we travel through these chapters, that there will be a prophecy that he will give concerning where Messiah is going to be born. And many of you know that, as it's quoted there in Matthew's Gospel. But Ahaz was one that filled the land with idols. Uh, he was a terrible king. Uh, he paid silver and gold uh, of the temple, there Solomon's temple, to the king of Assyria. He set up a pagan image in the temple. He, he uh, was one that came up with his own plan to keep this attack from Syria and Israel coming against him when Isaiah came and brought that word to him that asked for a sign, this attack's not going to happen. Again, you might recall that study in Isaiah chapter 7. And it was, the, you know, the, the, the Lord said, I'll give you a sign and Emmanuel will be born, God with us. But we know that Ahaz, that uh, he paid off the Assyrian king. He would t attack Syria, take over Damascus. And it was Ahaz that went up to see him. And as he did, and that was very unusual for a king to go visit another king in a foreign land. But as he did, there is the king of Assyria sitting there. And he has this idol, and Ahaz likes it. And he says, I like that. And he, he made the drawings of it. He sent it to the high priest in Jerusalem to make an image of it to put it in the temple. And we, we talked about the lessons that we need to be careful that we don't see the things of the world that are cool and, and the world is enamored with and try to bring it into the church. And that's what Ahaz did. So he was a terrible king, plunged the nation deep into the cultic practices. They were burning their own children in the arms of Moloch in the Gehenna Valley. Uh, they were doing terrible things as the nation was plunged deep into idol worship. And Hezekiah would come after that. And Hezekiah was a good king. And revival would break out during that time. And he was the one that, of course, as we know, that when the Assyrians uh, took the ten northern tribes off into captivity a couple years after that, that the Assyrians made their way into Judah and they surrounded Jerusalem. Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, was threatening Hezekiah and was going to destroy Jerusalem. That was pretty much all that was left. But God spared Jerusalem as Hezekiah would pray to the Lord and they sought the Lord and an angel came and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Again, we read about that in the book of Isaiah as you read those chapters 36 and 37. Uh, how God intervened, one angel destroying the Assyrian army. And after that, the Assyrian army began to, uh, began to decline in power. And the Babylonians began to rise in power, and they eventually would come in and destroy Jerusalem in 586 B.C. But for many people, Micah is one of the favorites of the minor prophets. It has been called a miniature book of Isaiah, Isaiah and Micah were contemporaries. Again, uh, you might recall that Isaiah ministered after the death of Uzziah, and he was ministering during the reign of Jotham, and also uh, as he would reign during the reign of Hezekiah. 
clear to Manasseh, it's believed that Isaiah was sawn in half by Manasseh, who's the worst of the kings, the son of uh, Hezekiah. But uh, possibly he was friends with Isaiah, Micah was, uh, like uh, other uh, prophetic books that we have read here in the Old Testament. We see that Micah is going to prophesy concerning future judgment on Judah because of their disobedience and sin, and also the future glory of restoration. So his ministry began with Jothan and Hezekiah, again about 740 B.C. Keep in mind the ten northern tribes will go off into captivity about 722 B.C., and then he would continue to minister to about 5, 685 B.C., about 80 years before the Babylonian captivity. He would uh, stop prophesying, and then after him would come Jeremiah on the scene. But let's continue reading in verse 2 as he speaks of the coming judgment on Israel. Hear all you peoples, listen, O earth, mark that, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split. Like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? So he's prophesying not only against uh, Judah, but also against Samaria or the house of Israel as well. But I find it interesting that as Micah gives this vivid image of the Lord descending from heaven to the earth in this coming judgment, Micah using this poetic language to describe the awesomeness of God how the valleys will split, the mountains will melt under him. He will tread the high places of the earth. All these things because of the transgression of Jacob. And as we see here, he's talking about an event that will take place. As we read in verse 2, all you peoples, listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Uh, And the Lord is coming out of his place. He will tread, verse 3, the high places of the earth. So I believe, and, and many scholars believe, that he's looking down at a future fulfillment in that a far fulfillment that this is speaking of the tribulation period. And we know that in the tribulation period that God intervenes in, in the affairs of mankind and bringing judgment on a Christ-rejected world in a very dramatic way. And here that is what's being described here, all the earth, as the Lord's going to come in great power. And he will judge the world in the tribulation period. And the reason of the judgment, as I said, is because of the transgression of Jacob, as we have read in verse 5. Uh, So this is both for Israel and for Judah. Uh, Samaria, which speaks of Israel, the capital of the ten northern tribes, as as I've already mentioned. And then in verse 6, Therefore I will make Samaria uh, a heap of ruins in the field, places for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones into the valley, and I will uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her pay as a harlot, shall be burned with the fire. All her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot, and they shall return to the pay of a harlot. Interesting. God's judgment will come first to the northern kingdom, verses 6 and 7, as we see that. And and he's going to judge those carved images. Um, and as they played the harlot again, 
Uh, we see that the prophets would use those terms, spiritual adultery, uh, like in the spiritual harlotry that they're playing as they're going after those idols. And, and we have seen that language being used. And one of the things that grieves our hearts in, in the day in which we're living in is that we see that there are those who are getting further away from the Lord, even in the church. We see in the church there's a falling away from the Word of God, a progressive theology, uh, the prosperity movement that has deceived so many people and it grieves our hearts but here's the thing to remember that you and I that we are to stick to truth we are to hear the word of God pass everything through the word of God as we test the spirits and to be wise in the days in which we're living in because if we don't know the word of God and we're not wise and seeking the Lord and, and seeking everything that we hear all the voices that are out there you know, filtering through what God says and declares in his word, we, we will get deceived if we don't do that. And that's why I am so committed to going through the word of God here at Calvary Chapel. And, and it's, it's wonderful to be able to know the word of God, go through these books, see the warnings here, but get grounded in his truth. But we can grieve as we see the deception that is growing. And we know that in the last days there's going to be a false church that will be on the scene. We know that there are going to be those who are going to be deceived by a false prophet and an antichrist. That it is warned to us as we just went over to Olivet Discourse in Matthew's Gospel that many false prophets and teachers will come on the scene deceiving. Even lying signs and wonders that will take place. And all those warnings are given to us to watch and be diligent, to be wise, uh, and to be ones that we are to be aware of those things that come along. Itchy ears, Paul describes in the last days that people will have uh, given over to doctrines of demons. There will be perilous times, those with corrupt minds, those of counterfeit, um, all those warnings that are given to us. But here's the thing to remember, as we grieve seeing that and as we concern, are concerned as we see spiritually what is happening in our nation, in our culture, in our world, even in the church at large, that God will judge sin. And he's going to judge the false doctrines. All that is going to be put away. And he will reign in truth. And so we are ones that to keep our eyes and focus and heart on the truth of God's word on what he has for us, a kingdom that is coming. He will establish truth. Righteousness will be established. And as Isaiah says, that righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. So I, I, I need to stay focused on that because I can get overwhelmed. And I'm sure for Micah and these prophets here, it was overwhelming. And we see evidence of that because Jeremiah wept, Isaiah wept. Uh, these guys uh, were brokenhearted to see what was going on in their nation and what was taking place. And we are brokenhearted as we see those things taking place. The deception, calling good evil and evil good. But God will come and he will set things right and he will judge those things, the carved images, the things that are, are um, you know, leading people astray, um, that are causing people to play the harlot, spiritual adultery, all those things. As he says, I will uncover her foundations and he will bring truth and righteousness and reign. And, and that's what I need to remember, that there is a coming plan and that we win. That is the Lord wins. He, he went to the cross. He died on the cross. We fight right now, as you've heard um, me say many times. 
We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. But there is a coming kingdom that we belong to. And I can't wait for the Lord to come and establish that. We know that he's going to speak of judgment concerning verses 8 through the end of the chapter. And we will see uh, that as, let's read verses 8 and 9. Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wounds are incurable, and it has come to Judah, and it has come to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. So Micah, again, see how he's brokenhearted? He says, I'm going to wail, you know, over this message, and I'm going to howl. Um, I'm going to strip and, and, and be naked. In other words, he's talking about mourning like the ostriches, for her wounds are incurable. And so he's brokenhearted over the message that he has to give, and just as we can become brokenhearted. But in verse 10, tell it not in Gath, and weep not at all, and Beth uh, Apra, roll yourself in the dust, pass by in naked shame, you inhabitants of sapphire, and inhabitant of Zayanan does not go out. Beth Ezel mourns, its place is stand and taken away from you, for the inhabitant of Marath pen for good. Verse 12, but disaster came down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem, inhabitants of Lachish, verse 13, hardness, the chariots, the chariots to the swift steeds. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. We continue reading to the end of the chapter. Therefore, you shall give presents to Morisheth Gath, to the houses of Achzib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. I will yet bring on an heir to you, O inhabitant of Merishah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam and make yourself bald and cut off your hair because of your precious children. Enlarge your baldness like an eagle, for they shall go from you into captivity." So the shame of Judah's judgment is going to be evident among the nations. And we just went through a list. And and I know that some of these names are hard to pronounce and read. But it's a list of some of the towns that will be affected by uh, an invading army. 2 Kings chapter 19 again tells us that 46 cities of Judah were taken by the Assyrians and then they came to the gate of Jerusalem. And, And then the Assyrians' army was destroyed. But then after that, it would be Babylon that came later, and the captivity began in 605 B.C. Now, Dulem is mentioned here in a couple of places here that were listed. In verse 15, the glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Adullam may ring a bell with you, because that's where David hid from Saul, where the leaders would hide from the Assyrians. But David was in Adullam, and, and we know that his mighty man went and got him a drink of water from Bethlehem, and it's just an incredible story. And you recall that there in in First uh, Samuel, that David poured the water out, and he said, "How can I, you know, drink this water?" These guys went out, and and he was so touched by it. It's such a good chapter. We don't have time to go through it, but he would hide in the caves of Adullam. Uh, he would uh, hide in the in the caves there, down in the Dead Sea area uh, of um, of. You know, the uh, places where it's fertile and the water came through. Uh, And so Adullam was a place where David's mighty man was. And here during this time, they would hide from it. And 
we continue in chapter 2. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light they practice it because of the power of their hand. We, we know that as this chapter here is going to describe the specific sins of the people. He knows that many of the people would lie awake at night thinking of evil things to do the next day. He says, woe to them, woe to those who devise iniquity. Uh, work out evil on their beds. Morning light, they practice it. People staying up all night thinking, how can I rip that person off? How can I get at that person? And, and it, it begins with the night watches there and then working it out as they get up the next morning. They covet fields, verse 2, and take them by violence. Also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man with his house and a man in his inheritance. So even during this time, even though the nation was strong, and we know that it was uh, Amos and the others that were ministering during the time of Jeroboam II, when uh, Hezekiah, uh, when the Assyrians were ones that, that declined in, in power because of, of what had happened there at Jerusalem, that there was a period where the nation would become strong. The house of Israel, the house of Judah, uh, we know that that would take place even before Micah here as they declined in power. Remember Jonah, that the city uh, would repent, Nineveh, from their wickedness. But the Assyrians eventually would grow in power. And during that time, even though externally it looked like they were doing well economically during Jeroboam, uh, during uh, Uzziah's reign, uh, they were fortified, the cities, they were doing well economically, uh, things looked good, but spiritually they were very sick. And what was going on is there was injustice, they were ripping people off, taking things by violence here. You notice here uh, that covetousness is being mentioned. They covet fields and take them by violence. Um, covetousness is one of the uh, things that we're warned uh, against. It's one of the Ten Commandments, don't covet. Uh, it is a warning that Jesus specifically gave to his disciples. Beware of covetousness, a sin that really sometimes isn't addressed very much. Uh, I've had over the years of ministry, 30 years of ministry, that people have come in and they are brokenhearted over certain sins, but very few times do I have somebody who's brokenhearted over the sin of covetousness. I covet this. You know, I, I covet that. Uh, it happens, but we need to be aware of it because I think that we can so easily covet things, especially in the nation in which we're living in, where we are told that you're not happy unless you buy this or have that or have what your neighbor has or have what somebody else wants. And so they took the houses and fields by violence, oppressing the people. And we know that's happened in 1 Kings chapter 21. Ahab, he's the king up in, in the ten northern tribes of Israel, and Jezebel's his wife. And Ahab wanted his neighbor's vineyard, uh, Nabob uh, vineyard. He goes to Nabob and says, hey, uh, I, I, want your, I want your vineyard. And as we look at that, it's interesting uh, that uh, he said he, he wanted to take this fertile ground there in the Jezreel Valley. And I'm going to turn there just to make sure um, that, um, that, um, that uh, we understand 1 Kings chapter 21. Naboth said, no, I'm not going to give you my, my land. Actually, it was Ahab that wanted to turn his vineyard into a vegetable garden. Vineyards are very, very 
you know, expensive, it's valuable. And to turn it into a vegetable garden. So there is a Ahab, he's crying. Jezebel comes in, says, quit your sniveling, I'm going to come up with a plan. So she comes up with a plan that they would honor Naboth. And as they were honoring him, these guys came in, they accused him of blasphemy against the king, they stoned him. And then it was Ahab that was able to take Naboth's uh, vineyard. He took it by force. It was done by violence. The, and it was Isaiah that came to him and says, Ahab, listen, you're going to die. Jezebel's going to die. So you can read all about that in First Kings chapter 21. So he took it by force. That was not just the king doing that. That was going on in a nation. Listen. And here's Ahab sniveling and crying because he wanted this field and Jezebel moved in a way that brought violence and killed an innocent man. And I'll tell you the truth on this, that if we are ones that we just have to have our little vegetable garden, that I got to have this thing, it will cause people and it could cause you to move in a way that is ungodly. Move in a way that you take advantage of people. You move in a way that is sinful. And we don't want to do that because we've got to have that thing. We've got to have this pursuit. We've got to have what, what somebody else has. So we need to be careful of covetousness. And that was what was going on in the land. And, and we see it in those historical books that took place with Ahab and Naboth. And that story in First Kings chapter 21. But as we continue reading here in chapter 2, verse 3, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, nor shall you walk haughtily, uh, haughtily for this is an evil time. So they, there's haughtiness going on, pride that was going on. I will judge them for what they do. Um, it, it's evil. It was a very evil time, what they were doing. Uh, as they are devising um, this, this injustice against people, violence and devising iniquity against people, he says that I will devise disaster upon them and uh, for this evil time. Verse 4, In the day one shall take up a proverb against you and lament with a bitter lamentation, saying, We are utterly destroyed. He has changed the heritage of my people how he has removed it from me to a turncoat he has divided our fields. Therefore you will have no one to determine boundaries by lot in the assembly of the Lord. So the land in this judgment will be left in the hands of foreigners, the Assyrians, and he would take the land from them and give it to another. And then in verse 6, Do not prattle, you say, those who prophesy, so they shall not prophesy to you. They shall not return insult for insult. You who are named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord restricted? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? So the people were rejecting the words of the true prophets like Micah and Isaiah that was on the scene because they had a negative message. They wanted a positive message. Does that sound familiar today? 
People want feel-good messages. And we talked a little bit about this last Sunday, that in that upper room when Jesus is having dinner right before his crucifixion, celebrating Passover, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And it was Judas that, that said, you know, is it I? And he says, as you have said. And Jesus gave some very harsh words. He said that it would be better if that man had never been born, the one who betrayed me, the one who, who's going to plot against me for 30, 30 pieces of silver. And, and Jesus was being honest. Those were harsh words. But I think that Jesus' hand of love and an opportunity for Judas to repent at that time was there, and he wouldn't take it. And we need to take in all of the words of the Lord, even in those parts that are hard to hear, that speak of, you know, the chastening of the Lord, uh, the consequences of sin, uh, which speaks of eternal separation from Him if we don't repent and turn to the Lord and give our hearts to Him. All that is part of the truth of God's Word. And uh, we need to give it to people. But some churches, they just want feel-good kind of stuff. And, you know, you're wonderful and just live any way that you want and believe whatever you want. And we need to stick to the truth. And we need to be careful that we give people the words of the Lord. And it's not always positive. It should lead us to something that is positive, and that is repentance and turn towards the love of God and the provision of God. Um, but uh, some people's like, well, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be too harsh. I don't want to seem exclusive or all these things intolerable. Listen, give people the truth of God's word. And when we give the gospel, you see, gospel means good news. I love to talk about the love of Christ, the provision of Christ, eternal life, the living hope that we have, but they got to understand there's bad news. And the bad news is we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and we need to repent and turn to Him. Jesus says, come to me. And repent is actually a very wonderful word that we have opportunity to turn to the Lord and quit going in the direction that's going to lead to devastation and death and will lead to death spiritually. So there's the bad news, but here's the good news. And here's the thing about we have seen the pattern of the prophets. They said judgment is coming, but they didn't leave him without any hope. Turn to the Lord. Turn to him. You know, trust in him. There's going to be the speaking of the restoration of the nation. um, And God's love uh, remains. But there is going to be that judgment that will come against them because of the covenant that he made with them. So in verse 8, we read, Lately my people have risen up as an enemy. That's a sad, sad thing. My people have risen up as an enemy. Uh, Isn't it sad when perhaps you've had a good relationship with somebody, you know, a brother or sister in the Lord, uh, you've done the work of the Lord together, and all of a sudden one rises up as an enemy. Or there's that friction, or there's that tension, and, you know, the relationship is strained and severed. And, and lately, my people risen up as an enemy. How that broke the Lord's heart. You pull off the robe with the garment from those who trust you as they pass by, like men return from war. The women of my people you cast out from the pleasant houses, from their children. You have taken away my glory forever. So even though they were God's people, they had become his enemies, and the enemies to the, to the oppressed and the poor those who they were supposed to be helping. And then in verse 10, Arise and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is defiled. It shall destroy, yes, with utter destruction. If a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, 
even he would be a prattler of this people. So even though they received what they wanted to hear, they would be removed from the land. You know, that's what Paul's talking about when he says that in the last days, this is what's going to happen. Some of the last words of Paul, the apostle that is given to Timothy in Second Timothy, um, as we read, and let me find it for you here, in Second Timothy chapter 3, or chapter 4, excuse me, these are the final words of Paul. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So we're seeing that day more and more, that they have itchy ears. Itchy ears, you want to hear something. You want to hear something nice. You want to hear something good. And that's the day in which we're living in, and that's what was happening during this day here. So, you know, they, they wanted to hear something wonderful. I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, you know, just prosperity, uh, of goodness, uh, all this stuff. Even he would be the prattler of this people. And then in verse 12, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like a sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. They shall make a loud noise because of so many people. The one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. So as we read this here, a promise of restoration and the people being brought back. Um, there's a ray of sunlight here, a, a, a message of hope uh, in the darkness that has been spoken, and that Israel will be restored. And again, looking down through the future when Israel will be restored uh, after the tribulation period, at the end of the tribulation period, as the other prophets have been prophesying. And in chapter 3, we do read, Then I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skins from them, break their bones, and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. So as we read this here, this chapter, the prophet denounces the leaders of Israel for their sins. And he says here now, or listen up, you rulers. You should know or carry out justice, but you're practicing evil. They hate it good. The justice system was corrupt. You guys are like cannibals, as he uses this very graphic um, imagery here, feasting on people of, uh, of, of God, taking advantage of them. They were so depraved that it's likened to you guys, you know, cannibalism, you know, chopping up bones. And Micah in this book describes their bribery and he's going to describe what was going on in their, you know, you know, oppressing people, the bloodshed, you know, ripping people off, all of this. And the pride that they had. The, the, did it all because they were haughty. And that's why it's so important that, number one, we stay humble before the Lord and we walk in the fear of the Lord. And that we have a proper perspective of how we are to minister to others and what is right and to live in that. But here they've forgotten all that. They were successful. They were doing well. And they, here they were, instead of helping the people, they were ripping the people off, taking advantage of them in very, very 
harsh ways, like, you know, just devouring the people. The wicked rulers and prophets were doing that when they were supposed to be caring for the people. And in verse 4, And then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at a time because they have been, uh, have been evil in their deeds. So in verse 4, judgment is going to come. And at that time, they're going to cry out to the Lord. Not in true repentance, but because they, you know, they want the judgment to end. They, they don't want to change their hearts. And in Amos chapter 5, we read something that they were ones that um, were to love to do good, to hate evil. Uh, and the Lord said, if you do, I'll be gracious to you. But they didn't have that mindset. And they didn't have it here. And he says, you can cry out to me, but I'm not going to hear you. And in verse 5, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, who prepare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, you shall, not, you shall have night without vision. You shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and in the day shall be dark for them. So the seers, that is the prophets, shall be ashamed, and the diviners uh, abased. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. So the false prophets, seers of the land, were leading the people astray. And if they gave the, the, the prophets, the people, if they gave them money you know, to feed their mouths, then they would pronounce peace to them. They're pronouncing peace. Hey, we're going to tell you what you want to hear. It's like prosperity teachers today. Give me money. Give me a seed faith. I'll tell you what you want to hear. I'll tell you what you want to hear. And they would tell a person what they wanted to hear for a price. They wouldn't give them truth. It really grieves me when I hear somebody say, you know, they'll pull a scripture out, and if you send this seed faith of, you know, this money, then blessing's going to come to you. And, you know, the Word of God is free, and the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. We know that um, in, second, in 1 Kings chapter 22, what it reminds me of that story of Ahab. So he rips off Naboth's vineyard. He, he gets it by force through Jezebel. Isaiah comes and says, you're going to die, Ahab, and so is your wife Jezebel. God's going to judge you guys. Well, what happened was after that, as you go to 1 Kings chapter 22, the story of Naboth and his vineyards in chapter 21. Chapter 22, Jehoshaphat, who was a good king, a godly king from Judah, comes up to see Ahab. And Ahab says, you know, Jehoshaphat, why don't you guys join in? Let's go to war against Syria. And Jehoshaphat says, do you got a prophet that we can hear from? So here is Ahab. He brings these 400 prophets, false prophets of Baal, prophesying and these guys are being all dramatic and and throwing dust in the air making you know uh, graphic you know symbols and stuff like yeah go against them gore them like a bull you know doing this and uh, all this and making a lot of noise go against you're going to defeat the Syrians and Jehoshaphat was wise enough to say I don't know about these guys do you have a prophet of the Lord so it was Ahab that said I got this one uh, Micaiah, but he always prophesies against me. And the reason was because Micaiah was a truth prophet and would prophesy against Ahab's false worship and, and false leadership and, and all of that. So he says, that Micaiah, he always prophesies against me. So Micaiah comes and tells Ahab that, listen, you are going to die in battle. 
And even when they brought Micaiah, the true prophet, to Ahab, they said, you tell the king something nice. Tell him what he wants to hear. Prophesy good things. And Micaiah was a little sarcastic. Initially, he said, go ahead. Go up against Syria. You'll win. You'll be victorious. And Ahab knew that he was being sarcastic. He said, you're being sarcastic. Jehoshaphat says, listen, what is, what is it that the Lord has told you? And he said, you're going to get your clock cleaned. You're going to be defeated, Ahab. And they threw the true prophet in prison. Listen, sometimes as we speak the truth of God's word, that people will afflict us and come against us because they don't want to hear the truth. And, and it was leading people astray. We don't want to lead people astray. So the prof, false prophets are going to be put to shame. The sun will go down on them in the nation, and these false prophets will have no answer. You know, um, and they had no concern uh, in teaching the word, uh, giving the truth of God's word. They just wanted to give false information and hope to people. We never want to give people false hope ever. And then as we read in verse 8, um, as we continue here in chapter 3, that, but truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So a true prophet will not go out in his own might, but empowered by the Holy Spirit and expose sin and give truth even when it is hard for people to hear. And then as we finish here tonight, and finish chapter 3. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice, who pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come to us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountains of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. So, um, you know, we are under, we as leaders, leaders in your home, and as a Christian, you're going to be a leader. You're a leader spiritually. You may be the only Christian that is in your workplace. Or as you are the head of your home, or as you're ministering in the church, whatever it is, that we are to be under divine authority and direction, not of ourselves. And they thought no harm would come to them. They thought they were exempt from God's judgment, but it's going to come, and it's going to come to God's people and to Jerusalem. And we need to be faithful to the Lord, not fear man, but fear the Lord and the things that we tell people. So we'll continue in this book of Micah uh, after Thanksgiving next week. I hope you can join us for our Thanksgiving Eve service here at Calvary Chapel for, and for a pie social. And then we'll continue through the Minor Prophets as we head into December, uh, that week of Christmas. Uh, we will have Christmas Eve service and then uh, the week of New Year's a prophecy update. But uh, in the meantime, we'll finish Micah and then we'll continue through the Minor Prophets Father, we thank you for this, this message, and it's given to us. We see that during this time that God's people had turned away, but also what strikes me here is how the, the, the leaders led the people astray. So we want to be a voice of truth to others. We, we want to give them truth, even when there's rebuke and correction and um, instruction in righteousness for their benefit and blessing that they would turn towards the ways of the Lord. We want to give them truth and give them light in the darkness. 
So, Lord, I thank you for these lessons. And I pray that you would just bless this time and this season of thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. And, Lord, even in the midst of difficulties and hardships, that, Lord, we're thankful because we have you, truth, living hope. We belong to a kingdom that will be established forever. So, Lord, um, just help us with all the things that we need to do in the next week in preparing for Thanksgiving. And as we head into the Christmas season, maybe truly a season of peace and gladness and joy. Those things that are spoken of, but are only found in you. So bless your people. Bless everyone here. Looking forward to when we meet again on Sunday. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope to see you Sunday. Have a good rest of the week.